Oh, how's everybody doing? I, I think it's funny that we chose the morning to launch the new app on the day that you lose an hour of sleep, right? I mean, that's like, why did we do that? You notice they didn't give me a genius shirt, right? That says something, I think. Well, my name's Mark, if we haven't met before. Um, I want to tell you something. When I was uh, graduated from high school, I went straight to college. And the first move I made was to find my people, you know, the people I fit in with and I can, you know, kind of my tribe. Um, so I didn't make my way to the science lab. That I'll tell you right now. <laughs> I did go to the gym. And I met some of the basketball players. We started playing a little bit. And one of the first guys I met was Mark McAvoy from Garland, Texas. And we were the same size, kind of virtually had the same kind of basketball game. And I thought he would be one of those people I'd have to beat out for a starting position. But after a while, I noticed I was strangely drawn to him. He just had this beautiful way with people. And he had this beautiful leadership quality that people were kind of drawn to him. Uh, the team, we had nicknames for everybody on the team. He became Big Mac, and I became Maestro. Right? Oh, come on, it fits, right? It fits. Come on. Maestro, thank you. And uh, uh, one of the things that if you knew me when I was in college, I was like a big old bag of insecurities. I just like, I tried to find the people. I wanted to hang with the right people and kind of who I would identify with. But Mac, Big Mac, he just made friends with everybody. He like knew no strangers. Um, I remember uh, we would go out for, you know, for a game and the ball boys would come and bring, you know, the balls to the team and stuff. And Mac would like do drills with them and kind of include them in a part of it. The team, many times we would have meals and we would eat uh, in a separate dining area. And Big Mac just made friends with all the, the, the food service guys. There was one guy who was just a little quirky in some ways, and the team kind of just didn't connect with him. But Big Mac, oh, he just made friends with him. They had all these great inside jokes and just played together, and he felt a part. I'll tell you this, um, Big Mac left a big impression on my life. Uh, we became lifelong friends. Um, he uh, uh, was the best man at my wedding. He, uh, we became roommates, and, and I, to this day, we call each other for our birthdays, and we call each other a few times a year. And I just, I'll never forget the way he modeled how leaders treat people, how leaders treat people. He just had this beautiful way with people. I think for, it's kind of, for many of us, it's, it's the human condition to kind of look like for people, I even watch it when we say hi to folks here, we look for people who are like us, that we feel comfortable with, that are kind of like our tribe. Or perhaps we look for people um, who, you know, are a part of what we're doing for the day. Folks who kind of sit on the margins of that, we, we just don't, we don't tend to notice them a whole lot. Um, it may be urban legend, but I read it on the internet, so it must be true. <laughs> okay. Uh, Henry Ford, right, founder of the Ford Motor Company. It was said that he was interviewing two candidates for one of his jobs. And uh, both of them were auto engineers, brilliant people graduated from the same university, had virtual same IQs. Um, they were just geniuses. And after they finished the meal, Henry Ford takes them out and they walk outside of the restaurant. And uh, he turns to the one guy, he goes, congratulations, you get the job. The guy's, oh, great. He turns to the other guy and he just says, thank you so much. It was great to meet you. We won't be proceeding with you, um, but I wish you the best in your professional endeavors. And, and you can see the guy like thinking, like, well, wait a minute, we were kind of equal. And so he says, um, Mr. Ford, if, if I could be so bold, I'm curious why you went with my friend and not with me. And, uh, you know, he says, we, we talked about just general things. We didn't even talk about automotive engineering. Why did you choose him? Mr. Ford thought for a few minutes, and he said, well, there's two reasons. 
first of all, I noticed that you salted your steak and then you ate it. But your friend ate the steak first and then salted it. He says, I tend to like people who try something first and then make a change. He said, but the second thing, and more importantly, I noticed that how you treated the wait staff. He said, you didn't, you didn't acknowledge them at all. You were just polite to me. But your friend over here, he engaged them. He said, thank you. He, he connected with them. He didn't just ignore them. I tend to like people who are polite all the time. I think as we move through the world, it's very easy, is it not, to look for the people who we feel comfortable with, people who we connect with. I think many times we can think of people as commodities. People don't provide goods and services. We see people as being goods and services. That we can kind of tend to think of them in utilitarian kinds of ways. What can you do for me? Today as we drop into the narrative of uh, Matthew's uh, story about Jesus Christ in the Gospels, he's, walked, he's taught this beautiful Sermon on the Mount, right? And now he walks down, comes off the sermon, He's been describing this beautiful, expansive, all-inclusive sermon that tells us about the new way to be human. And as he steps down into his normal day, we get to see how the kingdom of God comes in normal, everyday, everyday ways. Excuse me. And I think what's so beautiful about that is we see how salvation comes eternally, but also very practically. Theory is now going to get very practical. So as we dive into our text, if you want to grab your flat screen's advice, I just want to lead us in prayer. Can we pray together? Fathers, we kind of shift our minds now. We want to take your yoke upon us. We want to take your teachings, and we want to take your example. Father, we know that you never come to us in intimidating kinds of ways, but your ways are gentle and humble. Father, I pray today that you would teach us what it means to walk with you and to work with you in ways that are good for the world, but also soul-replenishing. So be our teacher today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. You all with me? Okay, okay, good. Thank you. Let's dive into the text. I'm in Matthew 8, verse 13. You can look at the screen above me. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law laying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities, and he bore our diseases. As I sat with this and just kind of reflected on it, I want to present two ideas that I think are central to what this passage is. There's many things it shows us, but two things I want to focus on. Jesus sees and he heals. He sees and he saves. But also, this woman is saved to serve. She's saved to serve. For the last couple of weeks, Matthew's been giving us this kind of beautiful glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, salvation moves through the world. And in his gospel, he tends to be less concerned about the chronology of events and more concerned about specific themes. And the theme that we've kind of focused on for this chapter is his authority. His authority is carefully displayed as he kind of shows us on earth as it is in heaven, showing us what Jesus' authority looks like as he moves through the world, what his kingdom looks like. 
Jesus first heals, remember a couple weeks ago, he heals the leopard. And that kind of shows us that, that Jesus is willing to give healing. He heals the Roman centurion, and it demonstrates this fundamental way that faith is central to how we come to God's kingdom. And then in this passage, what happens? Just in the most beautiful, simple, kind of routine way, he sees Peter's mother-in-law, and he heals her. And I think in all three of these examples, um, we get to see a little bit of some things that are similar and different. One particular similarity is the fact that all three of these people represent the very specific people groups. Lepers. What do we know about lepers? Well, they were the outcast of society, right? They weren't allowed to live in the city. People had to keep their distance from them. Roman centurions, they were the terrorists. They were the enemy, right? They were seen as outsiders. And this woman, women in this culture were seen as second-class citizens. They weren't allowed to give testimony in court. They weren't allowed to go into the temple. For all intents and purposes, they, all these groups of people had really no religious status. They were all people that were kind of on the margins. And, and these healings come to demonstrate something, that the kingdom comes in very practical ways. It comes to people in the margins, to people who are on the outside. Do you remember when John Ortberg talked a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, he said, blessed, blessed are the dropouts and the washouts and the burnouts and the leftouts. The kingdom comes to all. The kingdom comes to all, especially to those who you might not expect would receive it. And I think uh, there's a number of differences, but there's one significant difference that stands out to me, and that's this, Jesus saw this woman. He saw her. In the other healings, what happens? The leper comes to Jesus. The Roman centurion comes to Jesus. But here we get to see how Jesus sees this outsider and he moves towards her. The reminder for me is that for all of us, we are just not nameless faces to God. We sang the song, God so loved. He loves each one of us in the unique ways that we are wired. He sees the very particular needs that we have, and he enters into our reality. Jesus sees our pain, and he sees our weakness, and he moves towards us. Jesus sees us to save us. And when I think about seeing, there's a difference, right, between seeing and looking. Looking seems to be just a function of me directing my eyes, but seeing has a deeper connotation. It means I'm giving myself in a, in a certain way. I'm noticing more about them and moving toward them. Dallas Willard has this beautiful line where he says, the first act of love is always the giving of attention. When we see someone, we're really giving them our attention. We're giving them a piece of ourselves. And in this sense, instance, Jesus sees and he pays attention to this woman. He sees to save. That's what I loved about my friend, Big Mac. <clears throat> he had this beautiful ability to see people and move toward them in a nice way, in a loving way. Um, a few years ago during COVID, uh, we had Bob Goff uh, come, and he was uh, a speaker for us on video, and I had a chance to meet him. Bob Goff is this wonderful, fantastical kind of uh, individual, uh, kind of a whimsical character. And he tells a story in one of his books about... Um, getting a chance to uh, be picked up in a car. So he said when he was speaking, uh, they would send a limo or some kind of car to pick him up from the airport and take him to the hotel. And as he grew in popularity, 
He said the cars got more luxurious and bigger and bigger. And he said one, one instance, he gets out of, out of, off the airplane, he comes out um, at a baggage claim, and there is this huge stretch limo there to meet him. And he's like, this is ridiculous. Why are they sending this to me? For me. I was like, I don't need all this. And so he gets into the limo, and he right away kind of just engages the chauffeur, and he starts talking to him. And the chauffeur shares a little bit uh, that he's kind of, this is his side hustle. Uh, he talks a little bit about how he's trying to provide, work really hard for his family. And Bob says, well, have you ever ridden back here? And the guy goes, oh, no, no, we're not allowed back there. And he goes, no way. <laughs> if you know his voice, it's exactly how it sounds. No way. So he goes, pull the car over. And the guy's, uh, okay. And so he pulls the car over. And he goes, get out. And the guy's like, what is going on here? He goes, give me your hat. <laughs> so he gives him his hat. And he goes, you get in the back. He says, I'll tell you something. You're the hero here, not me. You deserve to be back there. So I don't know how he did this, um, but he, he gets the guy in the back, and he drives him to that hotel. And then he gets out, and he makes this little, like, medal for him, and he pins it on him and says, you are the hero. You are the one to deserve to have this kind of uh, treatment. And then he just takes a moment, and he blesses him. Now think about this. What do you think that guy's impression is of a Christian? It's somebody who sees other people and moves toward them. I, I think when we see people in that way, it, it has a profound effect on their life and can open them up to all the ways that Christ may want to meet some of their more deeper spiritual needs. And Jesus, he definitely sees this woman, but one of the things he does that's so beautiful is he not only sees her, but he moves towards her to heal. He takes his, her infirmities and he heals diseases. Matthew, in his writings, always has his Jewish readers in his mind. And he makes this beautiful hyperlink at the end of the passage to Isaiah, the suffering servant passage. Remember he said, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and he bore our diseases. He's referencing this Old Testament passage about the messianic savior. And I want to read just a little bit of Isaiah 3 because I think it's so beautifully provides the context of what Jesus' mission was. It says this, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and he more bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And then he wraps up this passage by saying this, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for our transgressions. One of the commentators I read brought some light to this, and he said this, although Matthew does connect Jesus' death to the language of Isaiah 53, this citation makes it clear that Jesus' entire ministry should be understood as connected to Isaiah's servant figure, who acts on behalf of Israel for restoration and wholeness. In Jesus, the restoration forecasted by Isaiah breaks into the world as Jesus announces the kingdom and performs healings and miracles. God's salvation is breaking in at this moment. It's breaking in. It's happening eternally, but it's also now and accessible to us 
here and now. And I think there's this beautiful movement that we see. Jesus does what? He sees, he takes up, and he bears. He sees, he takes up, and he bears. Think about it like this. Prodigal son, what does the father do? He sees him coming from afar. He takes him up, he embraces him, and he restores that relationship. And I think when we look at healings like this, I don't know about you, but one of the thoughts that kind of came to me is, Jesus seems to heal a lot. How come he, when I pray, he doesn't show up and heal more often? You ever thought that? When I pray, it doesn't seem like he answers as much. Like, I don't see as much healing, right? How come he doesn't intervene in my life more often? And I pause because I think that's a worthy question. And not to just throw it off, Steve did a beautiful job a couple weeks ago of articulating and, and unpacking that a little bit more. And I would continue to invite you to go back a couple weeks and watch that talk because I think it was super, super helpful. But I would say this, whatever you think or don't think about God, he is present in our pain. And, and though it seems like he doesn't respond as much as we like, he is with us in that pain, that he bears them eternally, but he also carries those moments with us together. That, and, and this, is, I think, is important to remember, that this, though he, he doesn't always heal us, that suffering doesn't get to have the final word in your life or mine. It doesn't get to have the final word. And I look out and I see your faces, and I know some of the things you guys carry. And sometimes it's like, oh, God, why are you not showing up and, and bringing deliverance? God carries us. And those, those kind of suffering moments, he is with us in those pain, in that pain. One of the books I read, um, Peter Gray uh, wrote a book called God on Mute, and I think he articulates it beautiful. He says, it was almost as if on some level God had sickness too. He took up our infirmities and he bore our diseases. I love this. He didn't just sympathize with us. He didn't go, oh, I'm really sorry you're suffering, right? And he didn't just bear our spiritual weakness, our spiritual sickness. The text said he actually carries our disease. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful idea. God is present in our suffering. He's present in those moments where you are struggling. He is there with us. And it doesn't get to have the final word. One day he will wipe away every tear. And I don't understand really all the implications of that, but I think these miracles show us that he has authority to do that in our lives. When I was a kid, um, I had a great fantasy life. I would watch a movie. I don't know if you've ever done this before. I would watch a movie and then I would just dream, like, what was the next day like in that character's life, right? Like, the day when the guy got the girl, what happened next? Or, or you know, if you defeat the, the enemy and you, you, the empire is back, what, what happens the day after that? And I think what's so beautiful in this text is we get to see exactly what happens the moment after she's healed, right? The moment after she's healed, we get to see that she picks up and she does what? She serves. Jesus sees her and he heals her. And what happens next is she moves into serving. What's interesting is in Mark and Luke, both of those record the exact same event. And every time they've referenced it, they say the same thing. Her healing was immediate and it was thorough. And then she moves in to serving. The text says this, he touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. I think it gives us a glimpse of a little bit of a movement for our lives. When we experience God's healing and touch in our lives, we are saved to serve. And as I thought and meditate on this, I don't know if this struck you at all, but as I was thinking about it, I'm like, you know, Jesus, 
I don't know if you should be using your superpower or your divinity to heal someone so she could whip up dinner for you. I don't know if you thought about that. But I think there's something more beautiful and deeply more profound about this. And Jesus, he heals, he brings wholeness into our lives. But as a response, we become a people who are saved to serve. We do the same thing that Jesus does. We take up, we see, and we bear. We become a grateful people. And as I studied this passage, God's spirit kind of worked on me, and I realized how difficult it is for me to do that. Maybe some of you are naturally bent like Big Mac. For me, I I get so caught up in my daily activity that to pull myself out and take time with somebody else, and I, I would share this. I think there's three hard truths about being the kind of people who serve others. And I would say they're like this. I think it almost always involves some kind of interruption. It's going to be inconvenient, and it's going to be time-consuming. It almost always means I have to stop what I'm doing, attend to, I have to interrupt my schedule. And what it shows me is this deep ingrained sense of my hurriness and my attachment to my agenda. Am I alone in the room? I think for all of us, we can kind of get that. And it, you know what happens for me is I start to rationalize. I'll tell you, give, give an example of this. this is, yeah, I'm embarrassed to tell you, but I'll tell you anyway. I, I was studying this passage uh, on a Saturday a few weeks ago and just kind of absorbing and thinking about it. And I left, got in my car to about midday, and I drive down Saratoga Avenue and cross Lawrence Expressway. And in my peripheral, I see this sweet man and, and it's one of those days, remember a couple weeks ago, where it was raining cats. It was just coming down in buckets. And this sweet man is walking along Lawrence Expressway with this little cardboard piece above his head. It's like a, it's like a screen door in a submarine. You know, it's like, that's no good. And he's just carrying this. I'm like, as I cross Lawrence Expressway, I'm like, you know, I've got a couple umbrellas in the back of my car. So I literally pulled off the road. And then the next movement I had was all the rationalization. You know, he's going the opposite direction on Lawrence Expressway. There's no shoulder right there. I mean, there's no way. And then I thought, it's midday. Lisa's going to be wondering why I'm not home for dinner or home for lunch yet. And just as I thought about this, I I literally drove on. Um, And uh, as I thought about it, I'm like, oh, man, the depths of my rationalization, it goes so deep. But I think for many of us, as we think about moving towards people in some kind of redemptive way, I think we need to be reminded that it's almost always going to be inconvenient, it's going to be an interruption, and it's going to have some kind of sense of, of, of occupying some time. But my friends, this is what I believe. This is what Jesus calls us to do. He calls us to, 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 to act this kind of way. And as Jesus heals this woman and she steps into serving, I love the way N.T. Wright phrases this. He says, salvation doesn't mean escaping from the world. It means mission to the world based on Jesus' lordship. Jesus is now enthroned as Lord of heaven and earth. His kingdom has been established, and this kingdom is put into practice by his followers. The mission Jesus gives each one of us as we follow him is to see, take up, and to bear. And when we do that, we're putting God's kingdom into practice. And these themes run throughout all of the New Testament picking up and carrying each other's burdens. I like Eugene Peterson from The Message. He paraphrases some of Paul's words, and he says this, stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. If you think you are too good for that, 
you are badly deceived. That line stings a little bit for me. I don't know if it does for you as well. If you think you're too good for that, you should think again. If you think it's beneath you, you should think again. And then he paraphrases Paul's words in Romans. Those of you, those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but he waded right in and he helped out. I took on the troubles of the troubled is the way that scripture puts it. You guys, it's not supposed to be convenient. It's going to take time. It's going to take some kind of disruption in our schedules. But remember this. Jesus came and he healed, and that connects us to uh, um, what we should be doing. I, I do think it's this. I, I would add this a little bit, too, just as a thing of wisdom. Remember this? Jesus didn't heal everybody. You ever think about that? He didn't heal everybody. That It gives a model for us that we use, need to use discernment and wisdom in the finite resources that we have. But if we are saved to serve, we need to expect that it's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be an interruption. One of my ministry friends used to say this, it's not service and it's not ministry if it doesn't cost you something. It's going to cost us something. It's gonna, but as we pay that cost, as we do that, the life-flowing uh, gospel flows through us to other people. Another ministry friend says this, the gospel came to, to you, to me, on its way to someone else. The gospel came to us on its way to someone else. And if I could say something that's probably universally true for all of us, we're looking for deep meaning in our lives. Significance in the things that we do. Jesus says our meaning is found in serving him. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. One of the greatest things that we can do is serve others by laying down our lives. When we lay down our lives in service, we're looking for those who are sick, who are weak, who are broken, who are needy. And when we do that, Christ is formed more deeply into our lives. It connects us to deep meaning. It connects us to how we were designed to live. It connects us to our truest identity as sons and daughters. <clears throat> Jay has been sharing with our staff for the last couple weeks about an idea called um, living lives of invitation, living invitational lives. People like Big Mac or Bob Goff kind of have be this ability to truly see and notice people. And he says, when you notice people, look for two categories. Look for people who are in crisis or people who are on a quest. Look for people who are in a crisis or on a quest. Crisis. It could be a guy, um, you know, who needs an umbrella. But I think a lot of times, some of the, our neighbors, our friends, you can notice when people are in that place where they're, they've kind of come to the end of the rope. You ever run across people like that? They're just at the end of themselves. They're really open to how God may want to come into their lives. People on a quest, um, I've got loved ones and family members who are trying to figure out life, and they kind of get to that sense of, well, what's next? Does it just make more money? Does it just continue to work my, grind out my hours? People on a quest are looking for deeper meaning. And when they're in that place, I think they're more responsive and more open to the way that Christ may want to come in and meet their deepest needs. 
One of the things I've been trying to do personally, I've just shared this as something if you want to practice something like this to, to ingrain that and to, to grow a little bit, is I've been going to a website once, uh, once a week. My normal rhythm patterns of prayer, I pray for certain things each day. To train myself to look and notice people who are different, maybe people in the margins, I go to a website called prayercast.com, prayercast.com. And what they do is they put every country in the world has a little four-minute video. And I'll just turn on that video, and it walks. You get a chance to see what people look like in these different I prayed for Haiti yesterday. You get to see people what look like in these different countries, and then it gives you a few prayer requests. It's a small thing. But it's shaping me in a unique way. It's training me to look for people who are different than me but have the same basic needs for shelter but also have the same basic needs, spiritual needs as well. And as I do that, it's growing me as a kind of person who can look for others, take up and bear. I would also say, you know, we passed out those um, calendars uh, a few weeks ago, missions calendars. They're a great way. Let's put others on our thoughts and minds so that we become the kind of people who are looking and noticing for people, those people in the margins of a life and how we can reach out to them. Um, a few years ago, we as a staff went to go see all of the Lord of the Ring movies. Um, we took some time off our day, and we went over across the street, and we watched them. And Return of the King, uh, in that, it's kind of one of the last things. And, and Frodo and Sam are heading up Mount Doom. They want to get rid of the ring and throw it into the fire. You guys remember the story? And as they're going up there, it's just treacherous, right? I mean, there's like fireballs. There's lava that's coming at them. Gollum, remember the little pitiful creature? He's like uh, trying to get the ring. Sam kind of fights him off. And as they're heading up this mountain, you can just sense that it's, you know, he's trying to get rid of it and save Middle Earth. And Frodo just falls and he's exhausted. And Sam kind of picks him up. And he says, oh, Mr. Frodo, do you remember the Shire? Do you remember, do you remember what it's like to have fresh strawberries and cream? And Sam, just kind of this just pitiful way, he's like, I can't remember anything. He's just completely weak and destroyed. He says, I can't remember grass. I can't remember the taste of food. And Sam just gives this beautiful encouragement to him. He says, come on, Mr. Frodo. Let's get rid of that ring forever. And what he does is he, he takes him and he says, look, it, I can't carry it for you but I can carry you. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. So he throws them up on his shoulders, and they head up Mount Doom to throw the ring away. I think that's a beautiful picture of how we can carry other people as they carry the burdens of their lives. The truth is, I can't carry, you can't carry someone's cancer. You can't really take their failed marriage, but you can come alongside of them as they carry those things. That's what Christ did on the cross, is he carried those kind of diseases. But all that suffering does not get to have the final word. We, in a very tangible way, can carry one another while they carry those burdens. And when we do that, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. And I, I would just say a thank you. <clears throat> you guys did that for me in a beautiful way. <clears throat> I took a, a few minutes not too long ago, and I read through um, emails that you sent me, just encouraging me. My dad had Alzheimer's and passed away a few years, and it was, oh, man, I was so overwhelmed by it. I was completely outside of my element. I mean, I had to deal with, um, you know, stockbrokers for his finance. I had to deal with health care physicians. I had to deal with 
uh, my uh, family members who wanted the inheritance. It was such a mess. And I remember um, some of the ways you carried those burdens for me. I, one of our elders, so beautifully, um, he had a business here in town, and, and I would show up there. And he, he would just say, hey, Mark, tell me about your dad. He couldn't do a thing. But him seeing that and what I was carrying was so deeply meaningful to me. One of you, I was sharing about my dad's um, sailboat and had to sell. Sorry. <clears throat> and one of you said, hey, I, can, I, know how, I know sailboats. And so we went over, and uh, he helped me take it out of the water and prepare it for selling. And I was so, I was so thankful. I've told him all, many times, I said, you're an angel. You're an angel. We can do that for others. And I say this only to say this to you guys. You do that well. I see that in you all the time. If I can give you the words of Paul, keep going. Do it more and more. Excel more and more in it. We're looking for those people who are in crisis, those people who are on a quest. You have done that for me. And I want to give you just a small vision of maybe a term that might help you think about that, wounded healing. Listen to the way uh, Scott McKnight says it. Because there are so many wounded, Jesus says we need a host of wounded healers. In other words, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you have been commissioned not only to see and to hear and believe the wounded, but also to care for them, to bind up their wounds and heal their afflictions. Wounded healers are not people who have arrived. We're people who have experienced some of the effects of sin and, 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 and disease in our lives. Jesus doesn't let that have the final word of us. But as we experience some of his healing, I know many of you have been healed from addiction. Many of you have been healed physically in some beautiful ways. Steve told me the other day of somebody he had prayed with and said, I'm healed of autism. Didn't know you could be healed of that. I thought that was amazing. He still heals to this day. And as we experience his healing, we are called to be the kind of people who become wounded healers, people who look for other people, see them, notice them, take up their infirmities, take up their weaknesses, and carry their burdens. I am so grateful that we are a church that does that. And if I could say this, do it more and more. Look for those people. Ask God to give you an awareness. Can you imagine what San Jose, what 1735 Saratoga would look like if we did that better? Can you imagine what Google and Apple and all the places you guys work at would look like if we were more like Big Macs, we were more like Bob Goff. We notice the people in the margins and we move toward them in ways to help carry the That's what Christ modeled. He saw us, he moved towards us, he took up and he bore our infirmities and our diseases. On earth as it is in heaven, in San Jose as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you with hearts full of gratitude, grateful for the way that you have seen us and moved towards us in salvific ways, healing the deepest parts of our hearts, healing us eternally. God, thank you that the moments that we have now of suffering and pain, they don't get to have the final word over us. Help us to be a people who kind of see and notice others. I pray, God, would you help us to be the kind of people who see, take up, and bear others' burdens. God, would you equip us to be those kind of wounded healers 
who are willing to, to notice folks on the margin, move toward them in beautiful ways, God, ways that help them carry some of the burdens. We can't many times carry their actual sickness. That's what Christ did. But we can come alongside them and help to carry those burdens, carry them while they carry those things. Help us to do that more and more, Father. Help us to do that more and more and excel in that more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.